This is the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. Hello and welcome to episode 89 of the Doctor Who podcast. We have got a cracking episode in store for you this time around. I will be joined at various points by Tom and Trev throughout the episode and also by a couple of actresses who have been incredibly fortunate enough to recreate season 27 of Doctor Who, this time for big finish though rather than television. But before I give you the reveal in terms of who those two interviewees are... Let's just take a brief amount of time to remind ourselves what state Doctor Who was in 1989. <laughs> Doctor Who through the 80s is really difficult to summarise, quite frankly, but it's true to say that the number of episodes may continue to decline all the way through to season 26. And by the time Survival aired, there really weren't very many people watching Doctor Who apart from the hardcore fans. And it's a bit of a shame really as well because the production team at the time had just got some new fresh blood in. Andrew Cartmill had very much began to find his feet and like it or loathe it, the foundations for what we refer to now as the Andrew Cartmill master plan had firmly been set in season 26. So it was quite a bit of a surprise to everyone involved in the show when they did pull Doctor Who very, very late in the day. Plans for season 27 were already underway. Uh, Sophie Aldred's gone on record to say that she would have probably left halfway through that series. And Andrew Cartmill had got as far as developing and designing a new companion for the Seventh Doctor, that of a safe cracker and a cat burglar. Anyway, move forward 21, 22 years or so, and Big Finish have the idea of recreating season 27. They got in touch with Andrew Cartmore, who was only too pleased to be involved, and he's taken a very leading role again in the production of these four stories. Now, Trevor and I are going to look at the first two stories. That's Thin Ice, so that would have been a story leading on directly after Survival. And I'm going to take a look at another play called Crime of the Century, which would have been the second story in season 27. We're going to take a look at the remaining two stories in this lost season at a later point in time. Now, I mentioned earlier that there's going to be two interviewees, and I'm really pleased to announce that Tom managed to sit down with Sophie Aldred a little while ago and was able to talk to her all about her time on Doctor Who and also how she felt about producing the Lost Stories. And shortly after that, he was joined by Beth Chalmers, who plays the new companion Rain Creevy. So make sure you found a comfy chair make sure your cup of tea doesn't go cold and enjoy the next 40 minutes or so of the Doctor Who podcast. So I'm very privileged to be in the company of the lovely Sophie Aldred. Thank you. This might seem like a weird question to start with, but can you ever see a, a time in your life where Ace will not be part of you? Uh, I hope not, really. Oh. It would be a shame because there's uh, 
there's still mo so much I feel that Ace can do. You can always go back. So even if there was an Ace finishing story, time is such a, a, a fluid thing, as we know, that I suppose you could go back and do sort of some missing stories or something like that. So hopefully well, there'll never be an end to it. And this is the thing, actually, we're here doing missing stories now. So this, 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 these stories would have been part of season 27. Are you having to, given that you've, you've, you've never really stopped playing uh, Dorothy McShane, um, are you having to revise the way you're playing these particular stories in the light of the last few years' work? Yes, I, I have given some thought to it because, of course, you know, the ace who we've met uh, more recently in the Big Finish stuff oh. is very... Um, she's, she is different. She has grown up. And um, so I have had to go back, yeah. and it's very much the ace of the TV series. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I, I've had to sort of revisit that, really, which has been... It's been nice, you know, it's been great to be thinking... Funnily enough, I, I watched um, Remem Remembrance of the Daleks at the weekend. I had some friends who really wanted to see me in Doctor Who, and I thought, well, that would be a good one to start off with. And my 10-year-old son watched, watched it as well. He's never seen it before. And it was very interesting because I haven't watched it for years and years, apart mm. from doing the, the um, commentary for the DVD. But you don't really watch it then. You're sort of busy thinking about what the fans might like to be to hear, you know. So this was the first time I'd sat down and watched myself doing a Doctor Who for many years. Mm. And uh, it was fascinating how different ace was and how actually although i always say oh yeah she beat up the dalek with a baseball bat you know she was so feisty she was so in remembrance which was my first story as the assistant actually she was quite um sort of timid at times and quite i i was quite surprised by how uh young um ace was then um, well, quite apart from the fact that I was as well, but you know, well, you, you, uh, look, you do look very similar. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you so much. But the sort of um, I don't know, it, it was a very, uh, quite a sort of soft ace. You know, that Ooh. that was the impression I got came away with. That yes, okay, she beats up a Dalek with a baseball bat, but she also gets very upset by the fact that she's been betrayed by. Uh, Dursley McClinton's character, Mike, and, yes, yes, and yes. you know, th and her relationship with the Doctor is very much um, he is the all-powerful, you know, amazing man. Whereas, of course, later she's become more disillusioned with the Doctor, and um, so yes, I have had to go back and think, okay, what would Ace have been like mm. had we carried on from Survival and Ghostlight? You know. Plus, of course, you've got so much more experience as a professional actress now. I mean, Ace was, was, was pretty much your first te major television, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was. It really was my first TV role. So, yes, the, the experience that I have had since then, and, of course, you know, it's 20 years. As a yeah. person, I, I'm completely different. I'm a mother, for example, you know, which... Uh, and and uh, that makes a big difference. It's an, it's an amazing opportunity to have played this role for such a long time. I know you'll get asked this a lot at conventions, but how does it feel to be part of an institution? Is, there, does, does it, is it restrictive? Is it, is it expansive to you? How, is, how, does, how do you feel being forever stamped into this, this thing which is Doctor Who? Oh, it's, it's an amazing experience. It's, it's um, something I never, ever thought when I first got the part would possibly happen. The fact that I'm still playing the same role, 
that um, I mean last week I went to the States to do a convention and next week I'm off to Australia and New wow. Zealand with Sylvester and Paul McGann to do you know to do conventions and for me it's been the most expanding creative sort of wonderful opportunity not not only for myself as an actress but also for for life really I mean I've met such a lot of fascinating interesting people for example last week I met um, this guy Harlan Ellison who's a very famous science fiction writer um, who's sort of coming towards the end of his years as he says and um, and I would never have even dreamt of reading anything by him or or um, and yet you know met this amazing man and to meet all these people from all over the world who are doing the most amazing thing car- carrying out their amazing lives um, and the common bond we have is Doctor Who. It's quite extraordinary, really. Can I just move, move a little bit left to Doctor Who for a moment? Mm. You're a trained soprano. Do you, do you still get a chance to use this, this wonderful... I mean, clearly listening to your voice work, there's a load of range going on there, and this mm. ability to roll back, the, roll back the ears and just up in pitch and oh, just absolutely still give it, like, yeah, as if the ears haven't passed at all. Is, is that where, mostly where your soprano training comes in, or do you still get to sing? I do get to sing, actually. Um, I teach a, I teach a bit of singing at my... My sons go to a Steiner school, um, and I teach singing there. And I also do a lot of uh, choir stuff and choral stuff with them. Um, so, yes, I do, get to, I do get to sing, which is wonderful, because, you know, singing is a, it's a lovely thing to do, and it's, it's, it's really, you know, for breathing and for just for life really it's it's um it's a really nice thing so i'm so glad to have had that training and i do i occasionally i'm asked to sing in a concert or um i did a thing a few months back with colin baker where um he was um comparing a a concert up in the northeast of england and i was asked to sing and I did a, a, an arrangement of the Sky Boat song with a full orchestra behind oh, yeah, me, yeah, yeah, which yeah. was really fantastic. And it was a lovely opportunity to wow. to use my singing again. So, yeah, it, it, it's always it's always nice to be the catalyst to a band because you know music music's wonderful when the singing starts. You know, this is the thing that that the human absolutely focuses on. So it yes. must be nice to be. It, it must be nice to be known for something away from being uh, from from being ace. But yeah. I, I mentioned this the last time we met. You seem remarkably content. It's so refreshing to see someone's like, yes, I embrace exactly what my life's work is done. Because it, it, I think I think you'll be aware that not all people are so uh, are so grateful to be continually associated with something. But you seem so incredibly happy and content. Is there a secret to this? Yeah, I think I was very, well, lucky. I mean, at, at the same time I was doing Doctor Who, I also got uh, presenting jobs in TV and I, I did all that. And then I also think that because I'd, I'd sort of... I'd done that and I'd had a certain measure of success and I'd done a lot of work and, you know, I was always working. That, of course, when motherhood came to me, it was like something I'd always wanted to be, a mother, and I took to it like, you know, I absolutely adore being a mum and I've always loved children. So for me, I've got this perfect combination now of working, um, you know, doing voice stuff, Um, and being a mum and teaching at my son's school, which is something I'd always... Which I actually, I find that the most demanding thing that I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I have got this, and, you know, very happily married and very, very contented. So, yeah, I mean, I think 
I'm so probably envious. happier now, yeah, than I've than I've ever been. So, did you have to tra- um, did you have to train to be a teacher, or are you doing are you doing it in a Perry way? Well, I do. Yes, I do. Sort of uh, peripatetic teaching, but yes, I I've learnt sort of on the job, as it were. I've, yeah. I, and I've um, I've been mentored very well, and I've. I've done a lot. I've done a lot of courses and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah I, I, sorry, I wasn't trying to impugn. No, 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 no. It's it, it, it's a good question because I think it's something that I'm sort of naturally feel for anyway. Hmm. But as I say, I mean, it's the most challenging thing I do. The sort of you know, the behaviour stuff and the you know managing a class and that sort of thing. What, what age? What age range is it? Is it uh, eight it's to ten? Seven or? to fourteen. It's a challenging yeah. time. Mm. Very challenging time. Yeah. You could uh, the, the the pure old thing to say is you could always whip out the baseball bat, but that's <laughs> very very dangerous. No, that's true. And I run um I also run a, a pregnant mums and and babies um, session once a week as well, which is wonderful. So I get to cuddle some babies and look after new mums. So you know, yeah, it's it. I I do a, a lot of different things, not just the acting, and I think that's that's very good. A variety being the spice of life. Okay, if I can ask Sophie Eldred one question, what do I ask? Hmm. What do you believe in? What do I believe in? I believe in, as far as possible, being in the moment. Hmm. Because I've realised that if you're constantly worrying about the future or the past or thinking about what's going to happen in the future or thinking about what's going to happen in the past, then you're not really here now. And I think that in a sort of Zen-type way, that happiness is in the moment and there's uh, if you can just be mm. then and that's so yeah that's what i believe in that's that wonderful. and love and friendship and <laughs> <laughs> all those nice things as well well clearly cause I, I, i'm not going to tire of saying this today i don't think it's there's such a beautiful wonderful family atmosphere in this building as it goes uh, and i must confess i was sat in the control room as you arrived like straight in in up hello everybody and off we go it's fabulous it just seems to be a very a strong company yes, of people. Yes, it's always a strong company. I mean, you know, two of the people I'd never met before and there I am suddenly acting with them. It seems to always work that way. I think one of the great things is that David Richardson is is uh, a, an, a, a wonderful line producer. He He's so nice. He's the nicest man you could ever imagine. And also, you know, for me, obviously, my friendship with Sylvester is something that is really kind of strong and, and you know, uh, mm. we just love seeing each other and working together and, you know. I think th- th- many people will know that you have you, sh- you share a birthday. Mm. Um, it, a little bit displaced in years, but certainly the same day of the year. And I must confess, I'm really glad to see you because I, I didn't want to have to ask the rest of the question about how do you feel about working without Sophie? You've been together for such a long time. So I'm kind of glad that you are still together. <laughs> you, you, you must be relieved to have everything continue. Are you allowed to say what's going on beyond this? Um, I don't know what's going on beyond this. I <laughs> guess it's more of more Doctor and Hex and Ace and more, oh, hang on. more and Rain, Hex? maybe. Um, we're not sure. Okay. We have to... <laughs> So wait and see. <laughs> I just finished listening to uh, Project Destiny. Oh which yes, is, uh, which yeah, I think yeah. must have been quite a long way in the past for you now. Um, yes, I, uh, the, the, of course. For me, the big problem with doing the audios is that we do so many, yeah. and because they only take two days to record, mm. it's very, very difficult to remember mm. which is which. Um, so I'm actually I've started listening at last to the um, 
the, the back catalogue. So uh, hopefully I'll know what people are talking about at conventions a bit more now. Okay. <laughs> I get fans tend to, be, tend, tend to supply the back catalogue data. Yeah, exactly. Um, is, there a, is there a role in Doctor Who that you would like to have played, that you think you could have played other than Ace? No, I'm completely happy with Ace. She's the, you know, for me, yeah. she's just the, the best part and I, I'm totally happy to have played her. That's wonderful. Sophie, what can I say? Thank you so much for your Thank time. Thank you very much too. Wow. Cheers. Thank you. So, is that it for us? Ace. I bet you're already into other dodgy schemes with other dodgy people. Two years ago, a submarine patrolling under the Barren Sea found wreckage of what appeared to be a crashed spaceship. It was full of treasures. <gasps> what was that? A sonic gun! This way! James has already briefly uh, spoken about what is known as Season 27, which of course was the season of Doctor Who that never was. Now, Season 26 is the last official series of Doctor Who from 1989, and uh, as James said, plans were already well in progress for the next season. But then the show was, well, you can't say cancelled because it's never actually officially been cancelled. It was put on extended hiatus, which just happened to last a very, very long time. But um, the story I'd like to talk to you about today is the first from the uh, Sylvester McCoy Big Finish Lost Stories range from that season that never was, Thin Ice. This story was to ha see the return of the Ice Warriors to televise Doctor Who. And it's rather unfortunate they didn't get a go because um, the, the Ice Warriors really haven't got a very fair run in Doctor Who. Um, you know, they haven't been seen for many, many years. Um, they're actually originally part of the original season 23 lineup before that season was scrapped and um, the show put on hiatus. And we got the Trial of a Time Lord season, which had absolutely no Ice Warriors in it whatsoever. So again, the Ice Warriors get the uh, short end of the stick. They were supposed to be part of season 27. Then that got cancelled. The whole show got cancelled. And again, we have no Ice Warriors. Now, Big Finish had done a fantastic thing here by producing these stories in audio format, at least, to give us, the fans, a, a, a chance to really appreciate what might have been for that series in 1990. A lot of these stories were at various stages of development. Now, I'm not really 100% sure where Thin Ice was. I'm presuming because it was one of the early stories, the overall script was probably quite progressed. So it's really interesting to, to listen to this in audio format and wonder just what changes have taken place between what might have been in 1990 and what Big Finish have produced now. The essence of the story is the Ice Warriors, or a cast of Ice Warriors that has been marooned on Earth for 40 years, is trying to track down a uh, cache of holy relics, which they believe will help them restore the glory of the Ice Warrior Empire and return them to Mars to rebuild the race. These um, relics are almost considered holy by these uh, stranded Ice Warriors. Um, into the mix, we throw the uh, Doctor and his companion Ace, and uh, we have a, a wonderful Russian setting. Now, pretty much at the start of the story, the Ice Warriors have indeed tracked down the relics after all these years, uh, courtesy of some human help. 
And it leaves the story in an interesting position for me that um, the Ice Warriors get hold of these relics and then you would think the story would end, but really we're only at the beginning and we've got four episodes to fill up. So for me, what Thin Ice does is it essentially provides three episodes of padding. Now, whether you consider it extraneous padding or whether it you consider it something actually interesting to listen to, I suppose, will be up to you. But uh, I found a lot of what went on in, in the final three episodes really quite extraneous, really. It, it, it was quite perplexing. We, we had an opening episode with the Ice Warriors finally regaining the relics, moving towards... I suppose, their ultimate goal of, of restoring the Ice Warrior Martian Empire. But then other things happen in the story, which I won't ruin because it's, I suppose, part of the ride, but that kind of gets forgotten. One other interesting aspect of this story, and indeed this whole season, is the character development for Ace, played by Sophie Aldred. Um, what they were going to be doing this season was... Um, Ace was going to be joining the Time Lord Academy. And indeed, uh, as James said, she's on record as saying that she would have left halfway through this season. So Thin Ice has a uh, plot strand running through it of the Doctor telepathically linked to the Time Lords on Gallifrey. And basically the Time Lords have said, well, you need to leave Ace to actually um, solve the predicament that you've got yourselves into rather than you doing your meddling. She has to be able to prove that she's worthy of admission to the Time Lord Academy. So it's um, a really interesting direction that the story takes there. I mean, I've, I've known about this whole idea that they were going to be doing in Season 27 for many, many years. Um, if you check out, um, I think there's quite an extensive Wikipedia article on the Lost Season 27, and also if you check out Doctor Who magazine number 255, there's a really fascinating article on what Season 27 might have been. So it's always perplexed me, especially in the light of... Um, what they did with the Ace character in the New Adventures um, after 1989, that televised Doctor Who was actually looking at um, basically Ace becoming a Gallifreyan, joining the Time Lord Academy, becoming a Time Lord. And that seemed to be the way they wanted to push uh, Ace's character. In Thin Ice, we still have a Doctor that's um, very scheming, but the scheming is really centralised on Ace. Um, of course, he hasn't told her that she's auditioning for the Academy at all. And when she finds out later in the story, she's quite upset. Um, it gives another chance for um, her character to say, I'm never going to trust the Doctor again. My goodness, you think if she's been burnt that many times by the Doctor and his machinations, you think she'd just walk away. But I suppose that's um, part of the charm. Ace, Ace just seems to enjoy being bamboozled and tricked. And she really seems to enjoy the whole realisation that um, that she has been deceived. So she, she's a really perplexing character in that respect. One of the other things I'm seeing here too with Thin Ice and with my very small knowledge of what was going to be happening later in Season 27 from the articles I've read, we can see the beginnings here of a lot of the threads that were going to run through Season 27. Now I suppose these days we're all used to our Doctor Who being full of... Uh, arcs and threads and continuing storylines but what we have to understand with Doctor Who you know back in the 80s and what could have been the 90s is that we really didn't have that sort of thing going sure we can all talk about how Ace's character was multifaceted and you know there were various stories that were devoted to nothing but Ace 
But really, when you sit back and look at it dispassionately after it's all been done, there, there really isn't a strong narrative thread for the character. There's, there's not a lot you can really point at and say, this is where Ace has started and this is where Ace ends. Re- really, what we're seeing with Doctor Who in the late 80s is the beginning of that arc television idea. I mean, I, I, I would never be as bold and say Doctor Who pioneered it because there are certainly plenty of other shows that did it better and more often. But certainly Doctor Who was starting to experiment with this whole idea of providing um, stories that spanned a whole season or ideas that spanned a whole season, something that's very, very commonplace with our modern Doctor Who. And certainly in the aborted season 27, we see there the storylines of Ace's admission to the Academy, Um, various characters at, at various stages in their lives that appear in this story and in the subsequent story, Crime of the Century. Um, So we can see there that they're using locales and uh, characters and story ideas that we're going to be running across this whole season. Now, whether that's part of the much-vaunted Cartmel master plan or not, I I don't know because I haven't heard the next story yet. But certainly based on Thin Ice, we have a lot of stuff here that they seem to be setting up that would affect the whole season. Having talked about having the Ice Warriors return and their their search for the relics and also having the storyline of Ace and her admission to the Academy or her um, audition for the Academy, it's very difficult to really pick which was the major storyline. I think what we're meant to um, take away from this is the Ice Warrior story set in Russia is the main storyline and as a sort of a backdrop to it, we have Ace's story. It would be interesting to see whether that we would see that same dynamic if it was on TV because so often we did see on the televised version that Ace's stories were about Ace and had a backdrop of a story, not the other way around. It, it's more difficult to pick an audio, I suppose. A lot of what we saw in televised Doctor Who relied on the visuals, I suppose. So with this Lost series being um, produced now by Big Finish, Uh, It will be interesting to see what the listeners to this think is the main story arc. Is it Ace's story or is it the individual stories that that were presented as we move through this season? Overall, I enjoyed Thin Ice. It it was really interesting to hear what might have been, I suppose. Um, As James said, we were certainly in an era of Doctor Who where a lot less people were watching it and the only people that were watching it were the fans. It's sad to say, but that's the way it is. So it would have been interesting to see whether this would have provided a revival for the show. Based on Thin Ice alone, it seems to be moving away from the darker elements that we saw in Season 26, the stories where you needed to watch five other stories to understand what was going on. We've got stuff like Curse of Fenric and Ghostlight that are very intently steeped in the Doctor Who lore. Thin Ice is... at its heart, just very much an adventure story about the Ice Warriors getting back their relics to restore their race. And it's great to hear the Ice Warriors back. And it's really interesting to listen to a Doctor Who story with the Seventh Doctor that isn't wholly reliant on um, the Doctor knowing every single aspect of it before he walks in, because he's really making stuff up as he goes along during the story. And it's a it's a nice side to the Seventh Doctor that we hadn't seen for many years, certainly during the Big Finish audios and, and certainly during the later years of um, Sylvester McCoy's tenure as the Seventh Doctor. So, yeah, um, 
give it a listen because I think as a whole, the stories that comprise this season will make interesting companion pieces to each other. So, yeah, give it a listen. Right, okay, so we're here at Big Finish Towers with the quite lovely Beth Chalmers. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, we're <laughs> to play new companion, Rain Creevy. Rain Creevy, yes, the new companion for, uh, for Sylvester's Doctor. Me and Ace mm. work alongside. This, this is not your first Big Finish role, and this is not the first time you've worked with a Doctor as well. What's, what's your background with no, Big Finish? Well, I've been working with Big Finish for over a year now. Oh, two years, in fact. I've I was going to say, there's a lot of output. Yes, yeah, a lot right. of stuff. And I've worked with uh, various doctors. I've worked with Colin Baker. Mm-hmm. I've worked with Peter. Peter. I've worked with Paul McGann. Oh. And I've worked with Sylvester. And I think those are the doctors I've... I've yes, I've worked with. And, um, yeah, loving oh. it. Absolutely loving it. And for a while I was... Uh, Standing in for uh, Sheridan when she was busy, so I did quite a lot. Oh. Um, um, and so in each of those episodes, I did a little character as well. So I played 101 computers and automated lifts and um, <laughs> disembodied voices. Well, it must it must be said. I mean, the, the role which really sticks out for me, uh, in certainly in Doctor Who and Big Finish, uh, or the roles, mm-hmm. uh, were all in Leviathan. Um, there's a wonderful scene. I think somewhere near the end where you're playing. Where you're, you are three people in one room. I think, yes, I was. And you do think, I remember learning at drama school, they said, you've got pitch, pace, mm. tone, uh, and some other things. And that <laughs> list of six, I was thinking, okay, one of them's got to be high, one's got to be low, one's got to oh. speak quickly, one's got to speak slowly. and Because you can't stick an accent in, because I think they were all slightly so, West Country mm. then. We chose that as, a, as, as, as the world they were living in. Mm. So you can't say, well, I met one, one Welsh. And, uh, <laughs> it was all very Mummerset. Exactly, so it was all very uh, Mummerset accent. So, what, so clearly you were already in the Big Finish family. Uh, that, yes, I was. Oh. I was. So how did the Rain Creevy casting actually happen? Is it just an extension of what you were already doing? Or? Well, I believe. Um, it, the, the breakdown came to David Richardson and uh, I think Ken Bentley at the time. and, and Or David saw the, the breakdown because I actually... Uh, I, I box um, as well. I'm, uh, I was going to ask you about this actually. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think, and I talk about that a lot here. I mm. bang on about it, and uh, and it came through this this breakdown that this girl was a kind of uh, ass kicking, mm. um, basically an ass kicking posh girl. <laughs> and uh, I think they just thought, yeah. And so I, I maybe I flatter myself they were, they would have done auditions, but they thought we know who this is. Oh. So, uh, yes, I think David took it to Ken and he just went, yep. So we went out for a drink after a recording and they said, we'd like you to do this. And I was thrilled. That, that, that kind of leads into the next question. I was going to say, mm. what, what did you think of Doctor Who before you were actually part of it, before you were actually generating it? And just uh, did you ever consume it before uh, appearing in the, in the big I did. Well, my Doctor was Tom Baker. Ah. Um, so I definitely watched it then when I was younger. And uh, and then I, wa- I dipped in a little bit with when uh, when it came back. Uh, because like, yeah, when I was a child, my mine was Tom Baker, and then you sort of go away from it when your era stops. And then when it started again recently, kind of uh, dipped in and out. But it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I hadn't Sky Plus did one thing, so I was a little. It, it's getting used to the world again. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's with anything. If you watch it, uh, Avid, you you get taken into it, and and you mm. follow it, and you don't want to lose the thread. It's very immersive. Exactly, exactly. So it's great to 
to have to <laughs> immerse myself again and think this is work. Brilliant. It's, uh, it's clear to me that you really enjoy the really enjoy the performing side of things. Oh, um, I really do. Have you attended a con- I, I think you you attended a convention recently. No, I'm going to. I'm about okay. to, I'm about to go to Newcastle in uh, November. Wow. In the second weekend of November, and. Uh, I, I don't know what to expect, mm. which is half the excitement. Well, uh, have you have you met any fans apart? You know, well, clearly I'm, I'm here being very kind to take the interview. But have you met any other fans as well? Well, no. Facebook's quite frightening. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes, get, it is. Yes. <laughs> so I get some, uh, but there are some lovely people who mm. have sort of messaged on Facebook, mm. and I haven't really worked out how to. Uh, whether I should just go, yes, everybody welcomes my Facebook page. And then other people, you know, message things on my wall personally and you think, oh, so I'm not quite sure how to handle it. So I've met them in that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a few messages and uh, and some letters, very kindly people saying nice things like, we're glad you're, you're doing this. And I think, brilliant, me too. Uh, but no, I think, I think the second week of November in Newcastle will mm. be my initiation into the Doctor Who fan world. Well, it's, it's certainly something of an institution. Um, I, I, have you had a chance to speak to Sophie about it? Has she been on? I have. Mm. I think, and that's the thing is, she says um, you can't really prepare for it. Huh. It's very, but she loves it. Everybody speaks really. It says they have a wonderful time up there. I, th- uh, I think amazing. it's non-threatening, essentially. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's so nice to think you're doing something as a job, mm. and there are people who are out there really enjoying it. I mean. Uh, there can't be anything wrong with that because there are people who go we love what you do <laughs> great As, you, know, you mentioned it earlier on very physical performance clearly very bubbly very brilliant um, okay. and in the evening you beat people up well I try it gets very difficult at King's Cross on a Friday night it's good to have a <laughs> well, yeah, you've got to make sure you get what's coming to yes of course absolutely no uh, yes I, uh, I took up boxing um, mm. about ten years ago but only supposed to be just to keep fit and then uh, just like a rolling stone, really. And I went out to Barcelona to do a bit of training, and then they put me in a ring and said, you know, do so you fight professionally? No, well, not not professionally, but I mm. fight um, in. Um, there are amateur evenings where there's sort of seven or eight people on the bill, uh-huh. and I'll be one of those. I what? fought in King's Cross. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually not in King, in La Scala in King's okay. Cross. Um, only you know there are three or four boxing fights and three or four mixed martial arts fights, and usually only one female. Okay. Um, fight and yeah, I've, I've just done a few of them and then lots of little sparring uh, bits and everything. I, I, you know, I'm not professional. It's not something you can take up at my age. I think <laughs> I'm fighting people younger than me. It would be entirely mystery to, to pick up on that at all. But is it, <laughs> is it a very cathartic thing for you? Well, weirdly, people say, "Oh, you must. It's great to get rid of all that tension and aggression and hmm. things." Well, I struggle to find it. Okay. Uh, and there is that thing of thinking, either you have an inner animal you've got to find or an inner animal you've got to tame. Mm. I, have to, I have to summon one up when I'm in the ring and they say, you have to get mean, you have to get mean. <laughs> and uh, and the, 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 the British middle class sort of, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to knock you out. Yes, there's a lot of, uh, oh gosh, oh dear. <laughs> and, I, and I can't do the, the mean, the trash talking beforehand. It seems to be a very tight company in the recording booth. It, it, it's, what's the word I'm looking for, incredibly quick and very, very, uh, very it's a living thing, a very, a very living thing. Is that, is that the way you prefer to work or do you, would you rather spend lots of time workshopping? Well, I, I like the immediacy of it actually mm. because there are, there are certain actors, you're right, who with theatre and they start off with a performance and they rehearse for three weeks and the performance they give at the end is entirely different because they've morphed and they've worked and whatever. Mm. My performance I've given at the end has never been greatly different from the one <laughs> I've done at the read-through, which makes you feel a little bit like a sort of uh, 
you know, part-time jobbing actress who just reels it out. But it's not... Jobbing's I, good. I, I tend to just... I tend to find it quite quickly mm. and stick with it. I like my immediate gut choices. I don't tend to want to work out what my character had breakfast <laughs> three years ago and what happened at school. Was my character bullied? Oh, I just get a bit bored, actually. And I think, what's my character doing now? Okay. What is she saying now? She, she's on a spaceship. It's urgent. She knows this girl. She respects that man. She's saying, let's get out of here. Knowing that I was bullied at school, my character, <laughs> really. And I find, yeah, so I... You can, you can overanalyze like, something. Yeah, so I quite like the immediate way we work here. I quite like next on we go on we go sometimes i think well i'd like to have another go at that one because oh. that that's great sometimes i'd like one more shot at it um but the time the time ticks away it really does and you can't be too precious i i try and i try not to ask ken too often because mm. uh, some if you're always going oh can i do that again he would always say yes he's a fantastic director who wants you wow. to be happy but you have to also go if he wasn't happy he would say, let's go again. Exactly. So even though I'm kind of going, oh, then I'll just let that one go and move on to the next. Well, he seems to be a very accommodating director. Like, I, I, to give you, give you the, what do you say, the emotional space to express so you don't have to own it too much, which is pretty much, I think, what you're saying there. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes I'll ask him, I'll say, is my character, is, is Rain annoyed here? And he will go, what, would, what do you think? Oh. You think, oh, he won't, he won't do your job for you. <laughs> Okay, maybe a couple. Uh, one, one question about Rain. How would you define what? What's the what's what, what will make Rain's companion different to all that have come before? Good lord! Well, they're all feisty, aren't they? And they're mm. all quite hard. She's. I'm not sure how tormented some of them are, but she has a real background. We know she's a real cockney geezer. Oh, okay. Lad, and so she's um she's a product that she's made. Okay, a self-made um, woman. Yeah, she's so mm. she's very much. She has engineered herself. She has chosen to be mm. this. So it's, she's a studied person, oh, isn't she? Okay. So that gives her a difference, you know, to all the other... I mean, the others, you've got some very bright assistants and very feisty assistants and stuff. Mm. So, so they're all... Uh, but this, um, yeah, the reign's different in the fact that she's a self-studied, self-made... This is how she... So she's got a measure, a measure, mm. uh, a measured way about her. And when she's first discovered, she's, um, she's very much playing this man and... and playing and, and she's in control of the situation and I think she's quite in control of how she is because okay. she's decided this is how she will be. It's inter that's kind of interesting if you think about the Seventh Doctor's character being quite manipulative that could play out in some quite interesting ways over over your story. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, if you could have a Doctor Who flavoured wish what would it be? A Doctor Who flavoured wish? Mm. You see time travel is to, uh, is to just Doctor Who it's also quite a frightening idea. Well, ages ago, ages ago, that oh, not ages ago, I've heard someone saying there are two things, and they say a lot about you. One is if would you like to either be invisible or fly? Okay. And there's there's that one, and I definitely fly. Definitely, but I think. I don't want to hear what people are saying about me, uh, behind, you know, in private rooms. But I also, it tra I hate travelling. Okay. I, I I hate thinking I've got to get from here to there. Mm. So teleport would be the best thing. Yeah, I think I'd like to teleport. If that if that's the kind of uh, thing you're looking for, then uh, all right. That, yeah, generally, I'd just like to be cleverer than I am. If that, <laughs> it's a learning process. I'm sure. Or be able to sing. You know, now the X Factors on. I watch them and I think, oh, I want to be able to sing. What? Well, okay. Lots of things I want. I want. I want. My final question for you: What are you looking forward to? What are you most looking forward to? This. Aha. This. <laughs> Recording this episode and going to the convention. I've got, I've got, yeah, um, just it will working, be an experience. Working. 
it will be quite an experience. I decided going to Doctor Who conventions this year. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the last one I went to is where I, I, I met Sophie for the first time. Um, okay. And it's a it's just really friendly. I mean, uh, you, you probably know the atmosphere here is very welcoming and very and very, very friendly. Yeah, they're great. And conventions people. are much the same. Um, I th- and I think it's well, you find that actors tend to be very very giving people anyway, mm-hmm. and the fans are very much like. <laughs> Wanting to know. We, we've we got a combined love, a combined thing. You're all there for the same reason. Exactly so. Yeah. Exactly so. Sometimes it can be a little bit strange, but you'll know it when it happens. Well, I think that's a good, <laughs> I think that's a good thing. I don't want it to be normal, predictable, mundane, or like every other Saturday. Well, doctor, I think I'm looking forward though. to coming home and going, oh my life. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen it. You should have been there. I've got a cake. Look at this. I've got a cake. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Yeah. Yes, I want to come home and, and be able to say to people, I have just had a weekend that you will never have. I think <laughs> in one way or another. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not sure how it goes to a big finish, but I, I know Doctor Who's something that tends to change people's lives. It's uh, well, it's, it's a doing a, a good job. I'm lo- yeah, having I'm having just the best time with it. What can I say, Beth? Thank you for your time. Thank you very, very much. Lovely indeed. interview. Thank you very much. It was lovely to talk to you. Knock manipulation is safe cracking in its purest form. No specialist tools are required, just a notebook, a pen, and the stethoscope I got from a nice medical student I once met at a party in Holland Park. First, we need to find out how many wheels there are in the wheel pack. Who taught you how to do that? Someone my father knew. Okay, I'm back and I'm here to talk about the second story in what would have been season 27, Crime of the Century. As I'm sure most of you already know, this would have been the first story with the new companion. And it's come at some surprise, certainly to me, that Sophie Aldred didn't leave. And Ace does feature in these stories too, which for me is is great. Good familiarity. And Ace's character defines so much about the Seventh Doctor era in general. It would have been extremely strange to listen to what was supposed to be a continuation of the story told on TV without Sophie Aldred. So I, for one, am pleased that she's still in this story. Now, ever since season 26 was cancelled, we've heard stories, fans have heard stories from Andrew Cartmell all about this new companion and how the Doctor finds her after she cracks open a safe and the Doctor's inside and... This is the story where that scene is actually played out and I have to say it's incredibly gratifying to finally hear the Seventh Doctor involved in this scene rather than just hear about it through DVD extras or interviews that Andrew Cartmel has given. So a really strong opening I think and I really like the new companion. I really like Rain Creevy. And I have a feeling somebody else within the modern day TV production team does too but more about that a little bit later. Now this story feels different to all of the other Seventh Doctor big finishes. It really does feel very, very much like a darker, slightly more complicated and convoluted version of where the TV series was going before it got cancelled in 1989. And that makes certainly this story, and in my view, Thin Ice as well, very different to any other Seventh Doctor story ever told the closest format that you can compare it to is the new adventures it's it's bigger it's international in terms of where it's played out the first two parts of thin ice are set in russia and there's a lot of action taking place here in former soviet union blocks the names of the countries i'm afraid i really can't pronounce the story is set 20 years later than thin ice and it has some of the same characters in it. And once again, it's nice to see characters we got to know in one particular story suddenly take on 
a different dynamic and a different role because they're 20 years older in the next. And that's something that I can really appreciate. The guest cast are much more rounded in this story as well. I wasn't particularly keen on Marcus Creevey's character. Uh, that's played by Ricky Groves. And some of you may know him for as Gary from EastEnders. I wasn't particularly keen on his cockney, cheeky, chappy, criminal interpretation in Thin Ice, but within Crime of the Century, the character is given much more depth, much more gravitas, to use the infamous G word. There's more to this character in this story. Now, I mentioned earlier on that I would get back to who I think really likes this particular concept in the modern-day production team, and it's no less than Russell T. Davis. Now, this particular story has got a new companion, a very posh, well-spoken, middle-class companion who happens to be a cat burglar. Well, Lady Christina, anyone? And that's not the only comparison you can make to Planet of the Dead here. In part four, where the main monster, the Metatraxia, are introduced, they are insectoid in nature who have difficulty with their translator units. Once again, very, very similar to Planet of the Dead. And I think it's hardly unlikely there's a coincidence. Russell T. Davis must have known what Andrew Cartmel was planning. He wasn't particularly quiet about it and thought, hmm, yes, perhaps I can develop that. And uh, I think we got Planet of the Dead out of it. The good thing about hearing the original storyline being played out is that it's done much better. That is perhaps with the exception of the conclusion of the story. As I said earlier... This story, the whole Cartmel master plan, is quite dark in nature. It's quite violent. Lots of people just die and there isn't a huge amount of reaction from the Doctor or Ace. And for the first three episodes of this story, you feel that you're being taken on a very tumultuous ride. It's a roller coaster of quite dark and hard-hitting stuff. When we meet the monsters, the Metatraxi, the whole story takes... A different tone and it suddenly becomes much lighter and it's much more of a comedy and I'm, I'm not entirely certain whether I liked it or not I mean I'd, I'd be lying if I said I didn't laugh at some of the lines but I didn't really feel it appropriate given what's happened in the first three parts for me to be just chuckling away for probably 75% of the last episode and I, I would go as far as to say that tonally this story is all over the place and it does throw the listener in terms of whether you're expecting some kind of, you know, clever, dark reconciliation, or basically a half an hour romp as the last episode, with a big explosion at the end of it. And for me, episode four did taint the remainder of the story just a little bit. Not enough for me to really not enjoy it, because I did like this story. But it does feel a little bit bleh, you know, that's a bit of a shame. It's good to see the Doctor as the master manipulator once again, and can't help but think of similarities between Andrew Cartmill's written new adventures, particularly Warheads, uh, the Virgin New Adventure, which I think was only the sixth or seventh book ever released. The Doctor doesn't play a huge part in it, but he's behind every single piece of action, and he manipulates all the time in order to get what he wants, and that's certainly not restricted to supporting characters. He manipulates Ace and Rain in this story very much as well, and one wonders how that is going to pan out in the concluding story to this season. But in summary, if you like your Seventh Doctor dark, and you like the kind of format and the direction TV series was taking back in the late 80s, then I think you'll probably like this story. So for me, all in all, a good start to the first half of this season, and I'm very much looking forward to hearing story number three and story number four, which are being released by Big Finish over the next month or so. (laughs) 
Wow, what an episode. Hope you enjoyed it, everyone. Um, a lot of fantastic people were part of this. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, James, for putting all that together. And, of course, thank you, Sophie, and thank you, Beth, for some fantastic interviews. Always a pleasure to head down to the Big Finish Towers, so I'm told. I've never been there, of course, being over here in the colonies, but Tom reliably informs me that it's a fantastic place to visit. So, again, thank you, everyone. Fantastic. That might be it for another episode of the Doctor Who podcast. This is episode number 89, and we were a bit remiss last week. We forgot to mention a milestone for the DWP. While this is episode 89, this episode is the 101st item we've put on the feed. 101 beautiful selections of quality audio gold. What can I say? It's been a pleasure for us to bring it to you, and we hope to be here for a lot longer to bring you many, many more. Just one thing before I go, I just want to quickly mention the forums. The forums are free, the forums are great, the forums are fantastic. They have lots of interesting people being involved with them who, who would love to chat with you about Doctor Who. You can get to the forums via the link on the website at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. We'd love to see you on board. It's a wonderfully thriving community, lots of fantastic uh, thoughts and uh, critiques and threads based on the show that we all love, Doctor Who. Anyway, it's time for me to leave, time for me to go and prepare the next week's episode full of audio goodies for you, and um, we'll be back in your ears very, very soon. Bye-bye, all. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.